Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and I am your host for Bookin, brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author Martha Hall Kelly. Her debut novel, Lilac Girls, is based on the true story of 72 Polish women who were imprisoned and experimented on at Ravensbrück concentration camp and how Caroline Faraday, an American philanthropist and former actress, brought them to the U.S. for rehabilitation. Her new novel, Lost Roses, is published by our friends at Ballantine Books in New York. Martha, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute honor to have you here. Now, Martha, this novel, Lost Roses, is a prequel of sorts to The Lilac Girls. Can you explain to our listeners how the two novels are related? It goes back in time. Lilac Girls uh, was about Caroline Faraday, a New York uh, society woman, and this is about her mother. And it goes back to World War One, And Caroline did so many wonderful things for other people, even though, you know, she's very wealthy, she could do whatever she wanted with her money. But um, she did wonderful things for a group of women called the Rabbits, Polish women that were experimented on. And I always wondered why, what brought that out in her? And I found that out big time when I went back and researched her mother, Eliza Faraday. And, uh, it seems that's where Caroline learned everything from her mother because she brought a group of uh, women that had survived the Bolshevik Revolution. They were um, white Russian women, very wealthy, uh, cousins to the Tsar and countesses and princesses who had to leave Russia with nothing. And Caroline's mother helped them get back on their feet. Excellent. Thank you so much. Now, to prepare for the writing and completion of this novel, you traveled to Russia. Can you tell us what that was like? Oh, it was incredible. I, I knew the benefits of traveling to the setting when because when I wrote Lilac Girls, I went to Poland, where the, the young Catholic women were from, and I went to Germany to see Ravensbrück for myself. And so I knew when I started writing about Russia that I had to go there. And my husband and I went to St. Petersburg and stayed a week and just saw everything. It was, it was incredible. And one of the characters in Lost Roses, Eliza, Caroline's mother's best friend, Sophia, is a cousin to the czar. So I really had to steep myself in all of that grandeur. And it was, it was really a lot of fun. Thank you. And did you find any complications being in Russia as an American? Not really many, but our guide um, did kind of wave us away from a few things. Uh, he, I, I did notice that in one of the museums, which was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about Lenin and the Bolsheviks, uh, we, we really believed that we were followed in that, um, in that museum. And uh, it, it was a little bit like uh, being in a like a crime novel or something, a thriller. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but other than that, we, we felt really great. Everyone was lovely to us. Excellent. Thank you so much, Martha. Um, for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with Russian history or who may need to brush up on the history of World War I and the circumstances surrounding it, can you tell us what was going on in the world in the years of 1912 through 1920, specifically in Russia? Oh, goodness. Do we have an hour at least to go through all that? Um, 
I guess the short answer is uh, World War One, and and then after World War One, Russia pull, Russia pulled out during World War One, and. Uh, the Bolshevik Revolution happened, and that is that's basically the time frame of my book. And it was such a a powder keg in in uh, Russia at the time. And it's interesting to get it from Eliza's point of view, I think, because she goes there visiting her friend Sophia, and she's always wanted to go to St. Petersburg. And she arrives there, and she sees the tension at the beginning, right before it's well before the war and the revolution, but. She sees all the tensions of the peasants and how difficult it is for them. And she just doesn't understand how Sophia and her family just kind of accept it as an everyday thing. It, I think it really shows how when you're living in the middle of something, it's it's easy to disregard it. But, uh, but of course, by the end, it, it becomes apparent to, their, to the Strishneva family. Thank you so much, Martha. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Vladimir Nabokov, left Russia during this period. And for any readers of Lost Roses who are interested in staying in this world a little longer, I recommend Nabokov's biography, Speak Memory, which is one of the greatest biographies written in the past 100 years, in my opinion. Um, Martha, something that jumped out at me when preparing for this interview is that you say uh, that you spend your time in Connecticut, where you live, um, filling legal pads with stories and reading World War II books. Can you tell us about some of your favorite World War II books and maybe even some that are not necessarily your favorites but that stick out in your memory? You know, mostly I read of the period, so whatever I'm writing about. So for World War II, I didn't, I didn't read that many books about the war, but books that were written by people that had experienced the war. And one of my favorites is Castles Burning. And I wish I could remember the, um, the author. I'm, I'm looking at my, my uh, bookshelf right mm -hmm. now. Uh, I, I think it's um, Magda. Anyway, um, it's Castles Burning. And it's about a young woman, a Hungarian Jewish girl, who has to uh, escape Hungary during World War II. And it was so so beautifully written in such a uh, it was written by an adult about her experiences as a child and, but I felt like uh, it was a thriller to read it it felt like fiction and so that was was very um, for lilac girls was incredibly helpful I also loved the the book that had all of the rabbits memoirs in it uh it is beyond human endurance is the name of it and that really uh informed the story of kasha and the rabbits so beautifully because they talked about every little detail that went on at the camp so that was super helpful and otherwise uh i'm trying to think of other books that I love, you know, now I'm working on the Civil War, so it's it's kind of in my rearview mirror a little bit. I can't remember the other books as much. A, a lot of Genevieve de Gaulle wrote a memoir, and um, though I think memoirs in general of people that survived it really helped me bring that camp to life. Excellent. Thank you so much. Listeners, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Martha Hall Kelly. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore 
Whale Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Martha Hall Kelly, author of Lost Roses, published by our friends at Ballantine Books. Martha, you opened this novel in 1912 with a chapter about Luba, and Luba and her sister Sophia are fleeing Russia, and they are staying in Paris with their American cousin, Eliza Faraday. Luba's father has remarried, and Luba dislikes her mother-in-law so much that she stays barricaded in her room to avoid her. And I know someone like this who, rather than confront company that is displeasing for one reason or another, will retreat to a bedroom and stay shut in until the company is left. So this passage stuck out to me. Um, can you tell us about this character, Luba, and how she is different from her sister? You know, I loved Luba, and it's funny when. I get feedback on Lost Roses. So many people say their favorite character is Luba. And I guess that makes sense because I had such a fun time writing her. I really love Jane Austen. And I kind of borrowed Luba in part from uh, Sense and Sensibility, the youngest sister. And I just love that kind of precocious young girl. And once, once I kind of created her and, and gave Sophia a little sister. She really just took on a life of her own. I know I, I, when I hear authors say that, I always think, you know, oh, brother. But I really, th- th- that happened with that character. I just loved writing her so much. But uh, I, I, my editor at the very end of the book, when they read the manuscript, they said, uh, we would like more information about... Eliza and Sophia, and we want to see their relationship more, and we want a, a, a prologue. And I don't usually like prologues, but I I talked to my husband about it, and we both were sitting at dinner, and um, he said, "Well, what about start started out with Luba?" And I just thought, "Oh, I love that idea because I love Luba so much." So I went upstairs and came down, I don't know, an hour later with that prologue and we both just loved it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really nice when that happens when you're writing, when it just kind of feels like you're in the zone. But Luba, through the whole thing, I think, symbolizes hope for the Russian people uh, and for immigrants in general. I, I didn't, you know, today um, in the U.S., immigration has become such a hot topic. It really wasn't when I started writing this, which was about five years ago. And um, I just love how that is. It's so relevant today, what they went through. They had to leave under horrible circumstances and always loved their country and wanted to go back, but they just couldn't. And how the United States dealt with them as immigrants, I think, is is really relevant to today. Thank you so much, Martha. Um, A telling passage early in Lost Roses in the first Sophia chapter, I believe, is as follows. Eliza is alarmed by a proliferation of, quote, hooligans in the street, uh, the hooligans being criminals. And she asks Sophia, um, how is the czar helping? And Sophia answers, he believes if he supports the rich, prosperity will trickle down to the people. 
Of course, when I read this, I think of Ronald Reagan. And my question, Martha, is did the Tsar of Russia, Tsar Nicholas II, invent trickle-down economics? Absolutely, yes. Um, he he certainly did, and or was one of the early adopters. Uh, it, it, it's sad, but I think that that keeps happening uh, in in our country and other countries. It is, I think, a failed promise. Uh, especially, it certainly didn't work for the Russians, and I I think that again, it's interesting to see it from. Uh, Eliza's point of view as an American when she goes over there and sees so many people just starving in the streets and children without proper clothes and it was just really really horrible and to to know that the czar had something like 42 palaces while that was going on it was just such a clear powder keg I mean it had to at some point uh, come to an end and of course it did. Yeah, the palace is obviously not uh, trickling down to the hooligans in the street there. Um, exactly. <laughs> thank you, Martha. I want to return to the character Luba for a moment, who has another telling quote. At the age of 12, Luba, in response to a comment seeking to curb her habits so, so that she might marry well in the future, replies, marriage stifles creativity. Is this your experience that marriage stifles creativity? And what does this tell us about 12-year-old Luba? Uh-oh, I, I, I have to go close my door because my husband's downstairs. Um, no, I don't think marriage stifles creativity, at least not in, in, my, uh, in my experience. It's done just the opposite because my husband's been so uh, instrumental in, in the book uh, even becoming a thing. He was the first person that said, you should go up and visit that Bellamy Faraday house. And I did. And if, if he hadn't encouraged me to do that, I, I, th none of this would have happened. But no, I, I don't think that it necessarily does. I mean, being single or married it really, I don't think, makes a, a bit of difference. But I think Luba, though, I think that's her opinion. And uh, I just wanted to give her a mind of her own, really. Thank you so much. I, I want to talk for a moment about your character, Varinka, and her mother, or Mamka, as she says. Um, can you set up the character, Varinka, for our listeners? Oh, Varinka. She is a young peasant girl. I, I wanted to show, since I had uh, Sophia, I wanted to show the point of view, uh, the opposite point of view, really, from the peasant point of view from the Bolshevik point of view and to show that it wasn't just this horrible force that does terrible things to Sophia and her family but just to, to show that they they had a horrible life and uh she was my way to do that and she's young she is in a bad situation very poor living outside of the, the town and she is in a bad situation with a man that they live with, her um, her guardian in a way. I can't say too much because that's a spoiler. But uh, she has a bad situation happening there with this man. And uh, she loves her mother very much. And she lives with her mother as well. But her mother is very sick. So it opens on... A, uh, a scene where the tax collector comes, which was true in those days. Uh, the czar was collecting money from these people who barely had money to eat. And the tax collector comes and tries to sexually assault uh, Varenka, even with her mother laying there very sick. And um, 
her guardian comes home and sees the man doing it. And let's just say, uh, Terrace, the former prisoner, prison inmate, uh, doesn't take well to that. So, um, I, I, that kind of says a lot about Varenka and she makes some bad choices along the way. She becomes a, uh, servant in the Streshneva household and Sophia takes her under her wing in a way and uh is very kind to her and uh bad things happen thank you so much um and I want to highlight the chapter where Varinka's mother is giving a reading a tarot card reading for a countess there's a long tradition of tarot card readings and allusions in literary fiction I always think of Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, can you tell us about this reading and about the preparation you did for writing this scene? Oh, I love a good fortune teller. And um, I, I, I've been to a few uh, mediums myself, and I find them really interesting and really good research for the book. In Russia, I went to a playing card museum that was fascinating, and it had all of these different tarot cards, and I it just really inspired me to make Ma- Mamka um, uh, a person that could tell the future, and I just did the best research I can on, on that period and fortune tellers. My grandmother actually read tea leaves. Um, she was a seamstress and my little sister especially remembers sitting with her and, and reading tea leaves in a cup. So maybe it's in my blood, but I really, uh, you know, I, I always am tempted to put that into every book being sewing as well. I think it's just genetically in me. Excellent. Thank you so much. And finally, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I know you are now working on a third novel in this lineage and I would like for you to talk about that but first I want to highlight a passage in one of Eliza's chapters and in that passage there's a conversation between Eliza Faraday's husband Henry and her mother and the passage reads as follows Henry flicked his ash and a shower of orange sparks flew past my window I confess I'd like to till the earth a bit must be in the blood, Mother said. Of course, all those Louisiana plantation people once owned their fellow human beings. Henry's uncle owned slaves, Mother, in 1860. Are you forgetting your own grandparents owned other fellow humans in South Carolina? I, I'll never forget Charleston, Mother said, tugging on one glove. How many times has she told us the story of her mother taking her eldest sisters to witness the terrible slave market there? They spoke with a young mother who just watched her husband and children sold and led away in chains, which seared a staunch abolitionist streak in mother and her seven siblings. Martha, can you talk to us about this passage, its greater significance in your work and how it ties to your next novel? When I was researching Lilac Girls down in the archives underneath the Bellamy Faraday House in Bethlehem, Connecticut, very close to where I live now, I I had found that uh, uh, telling of the slave market experience from the point of view of Caroline's great-grandmother and I knew that it always was so moving to me that they stumbled on that slave market. And I, I knew that if I ever wrote a book about the Civil War and the Wolseley women, that I would put that in there. And that's what I did. I made it the, uh, the first chapter. They go to the slave market 
and they actually talk to a woman whose children are being sold. And that is the truth. And I just think it's a really powerful way to open the book. And it sets the tone because they were staunch abolitionists. And pretty much the whole book is about that. Thank you so much. Yeah, and when, when you travel to Charleston, being in the presence of that market, for me at least, is a very strange um, and sad experience. It's, it's so important to remember that, I think, because... Uh, you know, it's it's a horrible part of our history, but it's also just, it's so important to remember it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Martha. And listeners, I've been speaking with Martha Hall Kelly, author of Lost Roses, published by our friends at Ballantine Books of New York. Martha, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Martha Hall Kelly for joining me. Signed copies of Lost Roses can be purchased in-store at Quail Ridge Books and online at www.quailridgebooks.com while supplies last. If you're a writer who wants to explore your craft, receive feedback on your work, and make new writing friends without the pressure and expectations of a university writing program, then check out the Redbud Writing Workshop. This new school offers in-person classes and workshops in short story writing, novel writing, memoir, submitting, publishing, and more at community locations in Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. Visit redbudwriting.org to learn more and sign up. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.